Welcome to this edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery, brought to you by spiritualteachers.org. I'm your host, Sean Nevins. Hello and welcome to this month's edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery. Before we get started, I just wanted to mention a new book that it's out that I was fortunate to be a part of, and that book is called Passages, an Introduction and Commentary on Richard Rose's Albigen System. As an introduction to the work of Richard Rose, Passages highlights the tools and techniques for self-realization that Rose recommended. It's a concise, yet deep plunge into these valuable spiritual teachings. So if you're not familiar with the work of Richard Rose, I think this is an excellent book. It's fairly short, quick read, uh, but it does really get into the key aspects of his teachings. And even if you are familiar with Richard Rose's work, I think that this book is potentially it's a very valuable uh, resource, if you will, or a handbook for his teachings. So it's available on Amazon now. Uh, The paperback version is up. The Kindle should be coming soon. So check that out. I really recommend it. Now on to this edition of the podcast. This episode is actually an interview titled Satsang with Sean Nevins that was conducted by the Reverend Sina Fernandez from the Awakening Together group. It took a few minutes to find our groove But thanks to the Reverend's great questions, this interview hits on several key topics and has some moments of inspiration, including discussions on honesty, focus, intuition, and the natural koan. I appreciated the opportunity to connect with the Awakening Together organization, and I'm really continually amazed and thankful to encounter groups of truth seekers like this who are helping one another in this most profound of endeavors. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, big thank you, Rhoda. I really appreciate you and you helping out making those announcements. And welcome, Sean. Sean Nevins is here with us for our June Satsang. And my name is Reverend Sina Fernandez. I will be asking you a whole bunch of questions today. (laughs) So we're going to be spending roughly an hour and a half together. So thank you for showing up. Thank you for being with us and sharing your time, your wisdom, your heart with us. We really appreciate you. So for those who may not know Sean yet, I do want to do a little introduction and then I'll pass the mic on over to you, Sean, and you can say whatever introductions you feel on your heart to share. Um, So a little bit of background information so you can get to know Sean. Oh, Sean Nevins is an author, advocate, filmmaker, and friend based in California joining us tonight as our Satsang guest. Sean began his spiritual path in college with the Self-Knowledge Symposium, which led to Richard Rose, an enlightened teacher in rural West Virginia. He spent four years on Rose's farm meditating, reading, experimenting with celibacy, hypnosis, fasting, dream work, and many other practices until hitting a dead end. Sean spent another three years delving into intuition, particularly through writing poetry. Along the way, Douglas Harding's suggestion to look at the space he was looking out from challenged everything he thought he knew. Finally, 
in a moment of complete honesty, Sean experienced something beyond experience, a place which is no place where there is no flip side to the coin. His books include Subtraction, The Simple Math of Enlightenment. He's a frequent speaker and workshop leader at TAT Foundation events. His other endeavors include creating and curating an extensive collection of interviews and reviews of spiritual teachers and other resources at his website, which is spiritualteachers.org. He also has a YouTube channel called Journals of Spiritual Discovery. And I will post a link in in the chat for those who may not know of this particular YouTube um, channel. So just give me one little second for those who are in the sanctuary. All right, Sean, I officially hand it over to you. Maybe you want to say a little bit more about yourself. And uh, thank you. Thank you again for being with us. Yeah, glad that uh, I'm glad that I could be here. Is the volume okay? Perfect. Okay, great. Um, I mean, those are sort of uh, my my uh, quote unquote spiritual credentials, if you will. Uh, I think it's it's also helpful to know that uh, I do work full time. So I have a job out in the regular world. Uh, I work in intellectual property. Uh, So that keeps me very busy. And uh, I'm married been married six years now so seven years actually so uh yeah and we just bought a house so that's a congratulations deal coming up yeah so there's a lot of other stuff going on in the background but i do try to carve out time for opportunities like this and uh i think uh, like a lot of people that's you know, if you ask me, well, what are you passionate about? It's that opportunity to share. Thank you for that. And I love the fact that you're just like us with regular jobs, regular lives, living our lives and still on this amazing path to the awakening of the one true self. So thank you for that. It, it gives a full roundedness to the whole, you know, the background information. And so I'm going to start with some questions. And we'll see what happens. We'll see how it flows, how it goes. And uh, I know on some of your interviews that you have there out on YouTube and also in your book, you talk a lot about your spiritual journey and also your time with Richard Rose and your time on the farm, which you spent a lot of years on the farm there. And um, so I just want to pick your brain a little bit about what it was like for you um, specifically when Richard Rose started getting Alzheimer's, I actually heard you in an interview mention that it was difficult for you witnessing Richard Rose losing his memory and how he would tell uh, the way he would tell his awakening experience would change. You mentioned, and here's the one that I'm really curious about. You mentioned that if you awaken just to lose it, what's the point of it all? Is it all for nothing? Why am I doing this anyway if I can lose it? So in that interview, you never really went into that answer. So I'm really curious uh, how you look on all of that now and maybe even then. And so what is the point of all of this? Is there even one? I think uh, (sighs) 
I think that really that idea that enlightenment is something that we could add to us. I think that idea is really challenged if you you think about someone who like Richard Rose is enlightened. I believed at the time that he had something which I didn't have. And so your question, well, he did this work. He had this spiritual path. He had this experience. He's now enlightened. Uh, and then the man literally no longer remembers or the details of the description of what it is to be enlightened change then exactly what does that mean for me as an individual who wants enlightenment uh, it it it's just such a direct confrontation questioning of the idea of the self and the permanence of the self and a a seeker and I will just speak about me you know I I wanted an answer and I wanted that answer I wanted to hold that answer. You know, we 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 wanted to uh, we want to become, right? We we some people talk about well, we have a we have a spiritual side to us, and we have an animal side to us, and we want to try to maybe increase the spiritual side, right? The better angels of our nature. We want to open ourselves to these influences, these higher influences, and we want to become something more. And we want to bring some light into this world. And I think that these are all, these are all perfectly valid and wonderful ideas. And why wouldn't you want to do that? But at the end of the day, what am I eternally? And what can I what can I hold on to forever? And so I think that there's a there's a, a real truth implied about the nature of the self. If we consider that, yes, Richard Rose could become enlightened and then Richard Rose, the person, could lose that. What does that say about the person or the personality? Uh, and there's also potentially, if one can, if one can catch the spirit of that sense of release of the self, the potentially that points to a, a greater truth than the idea that I am going to become enlightened.
and enlightened. I feel like this adding on to or becoming is part of the seeker's confoundment. It's 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 like chasing our tail. And the and when you talk about the impermanence of the self, you're talking about the impermanence of the self with a lowercase s, right? <laughs> Of course, right? Because the Richard Rose was the character. Well, uh, you know that question. Uh, where where are we going to? Uh, we have to be honest. That's one of the core things. Uh, to be honest. Well, what do I really know? Do I know or do I suspect? that there is a capital S self and a small S self. What do I actually know of in my own experience versus what I hope or what I believe, or what I suspect, what I have read, what an authority has told me? What do I actually know? And so for myself, yeah, I, I had this phrase called end of the day honesty. Like at the end of the day, when I was when I was lying in bed, you know, I'm, a, I'm alone. I've, I'm thinking about living on the farm. I'm alone. I've spent my day meditating and reading. Maybe I had a conversation with Rose. At the end of the day, I'm laying there in the dark. And what do I actually know about myself? And there is this uh, at once uh, scary, but maybe a hint of beauty in this unknown darkness. This unknowing, right? The cloud of unknowing like the mystics would talk about. There's something there, but I just don't know what it is. So I dodged your question of small S and capital S self. Well, thank you. I love that. So I notice um, that you talk about the darkness, and I know a lot of the spiritual teachings that we're involved with here mention about the light. So I know sometimes when the light can be so blinding and all-consuming, you know, it almost can be like darkness. So what would you say to the seeming opposing dual natures spoken here, but yet maybe they're not so, maybe they're the same? Because you, you mentioned that. Maybe that's the void. The darkness is the void that's pointed to. I could be wrong, please. Yeah, no, I, I uh, uh, one of the most beautiful phrasings that I've come across is um, John Ren Lewis, and I, th I believe he borrowed this. Uh, he would speak of the dazzling dark. And I think that really communicates. Uh, yeah, there, I mean, there's a darkness of, of, uh, despair which i'm very familiar with and i don't know anything and i what am i doing and i i'm clueless i'm, I'm you know there's that darkness 
and a darkness of when I and when I look within and I just I can't find anything to hold on to. It feels like everything is sand and what is real, what is permanent. Everything seems transient. There's that darkness. But then there is also, I think, as you're alluding to, there is this. You know, this light which may appear as darkness because it's shrouded in a projection of myself or a projection of fear. Um, but yet it, it calls, it calls to us. It asks us to look. And that's what uh, Ren Lewis is talking about, by that dazzling dark. Well, I love that description. I just have to say, um, so thank you for that. So do you still have ups and downs on this spiritual journey? If so, how do you navigate those? How did you navigate those in the past and how has that evolved to where you're actually at now. And the reason I say this, and this is still a challenge for myself, and I've heard in others in this wonderful community we have here at Awakening Together, we've had glimpses of the awakened state and these states of oneness. But for some of us, it doesn't seem to last. Did you have this experience as well? If so, in your journey, have you come to discover the changeless state and are you able to stay there? Is that even a possibility? <laughs> yeah, these are these are great questions, and I don't know uh, the the model that your group operates under. There's uh, so many different models, uh, and I I, oh, I think about the the Buddhist model, especially if you were to go to any Buddhist and try to claim that you were enlightened, they would just scoff at you because someone who is enlightened needs to have a, a set, a long list of certain qualities about the way that they appear and they act and they talk and react and so forth. And well, you never find anyone like that. So therefore, enlightenment in the Buddhist context seems to be something that's always out in the future, some future incarnation. Uh, I find enlightenment is something much more um, well I, it's a, I suppose I have paradoxical thoughts about it in that one I agree with Bernadette Roberts who said that enlightenment has nothing to do with this world and, and I see what she's talking about, uh, because uh, some would say that, well, if you look at the back of the book answer, what is enlightenment? It's pointing to this world is somehow not real. And all of our actions and reactions within it are in some way unreal or less real than some other state but at the same, but at the same time, uh, and and this is the part that we feel, and this is our thread. It's it is 
woven into every moment and every, right? Like every physical thing and every feeling and every thought is somehow resting upon a part of the, of the real and therefore it is also real. So, uh, you know, anger and upset and quietude, peacefulness and bliss, these things are all just as valid and real as one another and as uh, unreal as one another. So to say, uh, ah, you know, I got upset the other day. That's somehow uh, not enlightened. I mean, think about that for a second, right? That's not enlightened. But if I had managed to maintain my equanimity, that somehow that is enlightened. I mean, what what are what are we saying? What are we positing when we? Uh, when we want to like sort everything in that way, like this is good and this is bad, and this is real and this is unreal, and this is, and that's nothing but to me falling completely prey to duality and, and uh, completely prey to preference and personality and. Uh, this little tiny person named Sean somehow knows that uh, this good, that bad. I mean, come on, right? And that's what it feels like. It feels like in the moment you are becoming prey to the duality and those moments of seeming not being consciously aware of our actions, our reactions that... Um, like personally, I struggle a lot with family relationships and every single one of my, I'm laughing, but it it's painful. Every single one of them is strained in some way. And so there's, there are certain words that have come out of this mouth that um, I don't think they were so helpful or conscious or, and so there was definitely that moment or maybe way more than a few moments of falling prey to duality. And so what to do with that? What's how to be with one's self, one's friends, one's family in a way that supports this whole awakening process? I, I mean, I, I, if you ask me right now, uh, you want to give your brother a call right now? I'd go, no, I don't really want to talk to him right now. It's just gonna, this is not going to be good, right? It's not, it's not going to go anywhere. It's not, I'm not looking forward to that conversation. So, uh, you know, what's really, what's really needed for that to me there's so many wonderful resources out there that work within that realm. Uh, like I'm, I, I'm not reading it at the moment, but it's on my bedside table. 
uh, Marshall Rosenberg's work, Nonviolent Communication. And that stuff is golden for what you're talking about. But the idea that enlightenment is somehow going to, uh, like a symptom of enlightenment is that I can talk to my brother without getting upset, uh, you just, no. Really? Yeah. Wow, you're helping me so much right now. I think I was under that delusion then. Like, it's almost part of me wonders if enlightenment is the cure-all for these these ways of interacting or acting in the world like once once the enlightenment comes there would be the grace there would be that ease there would be that sense of well-being that informs my actions informs my reactions informs my words my movements in such a way that well i'm just flowing i'm just grace itself i'm the living embodiment (laughs) and here's the thing you are grace itself in every beautiful and ugly moment. Wow. And and if you could accept that in, in, in your worst moment that you were and, and I, you know, I lose the word for like in our worst moment, we're we're clenched right right and we're like no 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 in our worst moment and if in that moment we could be a yes then maybe we would have accepted something about our self and i and i you know i'm not the I'm not the, uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get the spirit of something across to you. I can feel it. And something was, there's like grace in your words. Touches the heart. So thank you for that. I can't wait to re-listen to what's been said to kind of let it simmer and soak within. Um, So I do have more questions. All right. So in your book and also in one of your interviews, I heard you speak about um, natural Cohen's. And I just want to look at the audience here, the people here in our community to know what natural koans are. Do you have some examples for us? Do you actually still work with a natural koan even now? And uh, so we'll stop there because that's a, like a group of questions. Well, for multi-part, you. right? There were, yes. Uh, if we were at throw trial, it, there would be an objection right now. You can't. <laughs> Um, that natural koan is a phrase, I think, if memory serves me correct, that I borrowed from Philip Kaplow. I believe he mentioned the term, but I don't think I use it the way that he used it. Uh, but I think it's a wonderful phrase because I, I run across a number of people who will read something like, you know, in my circle, 
teachers like Ramana Maharshi are really well known and respected and his question, who am I? It's like a classic spiritual question. Who am I? And I will run across people who will might read Maharshi's work and and take up that question. Like what you know, he Ramana Maharshi says it's important, therefore I should be asking who am I? And I think that's a nice example of what potentially uh, is is not a natural koan. A natural koan is something like, uh, you know, maybe I read that phrase, who am I? And I think, well, that's kind of interesting intellectually, but it just doesn't doesn't really hit me it doesn't it's not something that I would I would lay there at night and think of or wake up first thing in the morning and have that thought that question or be in the shower and just find myself ruminating about who am I it just doesn't no it's just that's not it for me but it is and it is I'm just kind of you know imagining how a person would walk their way into a natural koan, you know, it is kind of intriguing and it kind of reminds me of like one thing I always wondered about was, was where am I? Mm. You know, that's something that really like, where am I right now? Like where in space am I? Now that question, that really bugs me. I'd really like to know the answer to that. I would really, if I could figure out how could I explore that, now that gets me excited. And that's what I mean by a natural koan. Like, what is it that excites you and intrigues you? Um, you know, the, uh, this, uh, in the opening of the movie, The Matrix, uh, they, they ask Neo something like, uh, uh, there's this uh, itch that you can't scratch, something that you've been wondering about your whole life. And that's, that's the natural koan. And when you find that, that's gold because that's fuel that comes from inside. You don't need a teacher to, you know, inspire you or to encourage you or direct you like you want to know. Um, you know, do I have a natural call on now? Uh, one of the, one of the things that I have found about, awakening slash enlightenment, whatever you want to call, is that it, it took a lot of the juice out of those kind of questions. There's things I'm curious about. There's things I think it would be interesting to know about. And I'm thinking in terms of metaphysics or spiritual questions. Uh, like, is there reincarnation? I don't know. That's a that's an interesting question to me, but 
the the uh, need to find the answer it's like that need was pulled out from under me it's just not there anymore so there's lots of things i'm curious about i'm interested in questions i ponder but that that hunger of i gotta know i gotta find out is gone Mm. wow so and you say in the book you say in your book that subtraction the simple math of enlightenment is that the koan can change over time Hmm. so i just wanted to make mention of that for those who you know maybe you're not aware that 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 gives you that juice that kick that gold all those wonderful adjectives you were using um that really fuel the journey it it can evolve over time or maybe shift and change is there any more you want to say about that well, I, I, yeah, I think, uh, I think I mentioned that in the book. That to me is a, uh, that's a sign that, oh, I, I'm making some progress here. There's kind of a refinement of that. Yeah, quote. I love that so, refinement. And, um, you know, it be for myself, it began just at a, a really basic level of, I am unhappy. How do I, how do I get a little happiness? How do I solve this misery that I'm in? And that over time, uh, very much evolved. It became a very, uh, on the one hand, subtle, but on the other hand, very personal and real and potent question. You know what I love about that, Sean, is it meets you right where you're at. Because for me, um, in 2008, when I started this spiritual journey, that's exactly why I started the spiritual journey, because I was unhappy. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you hear these certain teachers talk about, you know, this bliss or the, the power of now and how amazing it is to be in the now. And, oh, if you could only just stay in the abide in the now. And so, and you, and it's something tantalizing about it. And you're like, yeah, give some of that. I want some of that. So I like your question in that I could so relate to it because that's kind of how I started my journey. And the fact that it meets you where you're at, but it evolves over time. So you you may start with that question, but you don't you're never stuck. You're never stuck with a koan. So that's what I really love about what you're sharing. And this is in the back of your book, by the way, it's um spiritual first aid. So it's one of the one of the ones you mentioned to help us along the journey. Okay. So one of the curious questions that I have um, is, can you talk about desires and longings and how we can use those to help us awaken? Can you give us more details on how we can do that? Uh, uh, that to some to some degree that's tied in with the idea of the natural koan that that is a a longing or desire but one that we have we've put words on it we've articulated it um, 
you know, I, I, it's tough for me to talk about things like longing without thinking of prayer, because to me, prayer is, is, is a, it is a articulation of that longing. It is a, it is a fine tuning of that longing, a sharpening of that longing. It is a, it's like a broadcast to the universe. Like this is what I am hungry for. Please, can someone help? Something help? Wow, I've never heard prayer put that way. And I love how you tied it together with a koan. So the koan is a sort of type of prayer. Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure that Rose, Richard Rose said this, that I think he tried to think of his phrasing that your life becomes a prayer. You know, I mean, and that really captures again, I keep talking about spirit because so much of this work is is a marshalling of the totality of our being towards that longing. Because we're so, we're oftentimes so divided and pulled in so many ways. And if we could, and it doesn't have to be for days or weeks or months or something, but if we could in a moment bring all of ourselves to bear upon what it is that we truly want to know, the door might open. soaking in that for a moment but felt very powerful wow all right so i notice in your book you do talk about a lot of um excursions to the farm and living on the farm in 30 days you know and retreats by yourself alone in the woods but what do you recommend for those of us who cannot get away to a farm or go away to retreats, but instead have busy lives that need tending right where we are, but still we want to wake up right where we are using what life is giving to us right now. So what would you just say to someone like that? Yeah. But I mean, that's another great question. Uh, my book is clearly uh, written from a, uh, much younger person's perspective uh, because I had the freedom and the, the ability to take that time. Now, it didn't come without cost, right? I walked away from a lot of possibilities of what I could have done with my life in order to carve out that time. Uh, but to your question of well, hey, this is where I find myself. I work 40 or 50 hours a week and I've got kids and pets and mortgages and, you know, 
I've got all of this. Well, what am I going to do? And I think that that really, um, you know, in, in retrospect, Rose, Rose used to talk, Richard Rose used to talk about, I'm trying to age a few young people. He was, so he was trying to get us to go through what I see as um, you know, the process of life, I think, is one of building and then stripping away. And that we we build and we build and we build and you know, we build we all we all build these tiny empires. Right, I'm getting ready to buy a house. It's in my house. And I don't fill it with my stuff. And I'm going to put a fence around it and then make it mine. Right, and put my name on the front door, and uh, and we we pair up with another person, and then the two of us, we're together. We're a team. And we're gonna, you know, right? We build this, and we build and build and build, and then at a certain point. In life, life begins to take away. And we downsize, and we become empty nesters, and we lose a partner, and we and we become simpler and simpler and simpler and simpler. And I think uh, that's that is part of the plan, is that we're being prepared for a passage out of this life and into something else. And, and the world and nature is trying to teach us in a very slow way a lesson. Uh, so the, you know, the good thing, if one finds themselves, uh, sorry, I moved my monitor, if one finds themselves in, in a latter part of life and involved in many things is that they are in the midst of that process of, you know, and you can see it happening, build, 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 and then things begin to fall away. And there's a lot of wisdom is what I'm trying to say. As we move through life, we can gain a lot of wisdom. And because of that wisdom, we don't necessarily have to do what Sean Nevins did and go spend 30 days in a cabin in the woods by himself to be confronted with uh, his place in the universe and his utter ignorance about what his place in the universe is. Because now we've lived 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years. And if we're, if we've been honest along the way, we can wake up one morning and in that moment between coming out of sleep and getting engaged with the day, well, there is the moment that truth may descend. And all that we need is a moment. And I, and I think that's a beautiful thing about so many of the non-dual teachings, um, despite their, you know, despite critiques that I may have of them. They do point at this truth that in any moment we can see 
All it takes is that one moment of utter honesty about our place in the universe. And that can happen to anyone at any moment, in any place, in any situation, as all of recorded history has taught us about all these different beings and their enlightenment experiences and when and where and why they happened. And they're all over the map, right? There's no, there's no uh, rule book that says, oh, you have to do this and that, and you have to spend X number of years and meditate every day. No. So, so what's my, you know, after all that, well, what is my point? What is my advice? Uh, my, my advice would be to uh, just give yourself those moments. Find those moments. Find those moments and find the situations that um, are holy for you. Mm. What I hear you saying is this moment is the retreat. Well, yeah, it's a good way to put it. Yeah. And it can happen any moment. And how about now? Like even this moment or this one. So that's beautiful. Thank you for that. And also I heard you, it's, and I'm paraphrasing, it's how I'm interpreting is everything, the ups and the downs and the building and the, and the things falling away are the retreat. That is the retreat. The retreat is life itself. And every moment is a teacher. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember Rose distinctly saying, life will be your teacher. And that, that really stuck with me and sticks with me to this day that, um, you know, all that I could do, all that we can do for one another is be of help. And maybe there's a word that we can say that is of value, but really um, all around us in every moment, life is speaking to us and and we're, we are being called upon to listen. And what does it take for me to hear? I've heard you mention the word ladder a couple times, and it reminds me of what you wrote in your book and Rose taught about the ladder. Forget the exact words, but it's, it's where... Well, you're on a certain part of the ladder, a rung, and maybe your fellow fellow mm, person in your life, they're maybe a little more evolved than you are on the spiritual path, and maybe someone's a, a rung lower. So would you speak to that? Because I feel like our founder, her name is Regina Donakers. You may have seen her in the program before. She speaks to that. And I feel like it's profoundly helpful for this particular community because of how our whole thing is awakening together. And so this that I read about in your book, I think it would be helpful for this community. Do you know what I'm talking about? The ladder? Oh, yeah. The ladder. Um, 
you know, Rose, Rose had uh, what he called the law of the ladder. The law of the ladder. That's what it was. And his idea was, it's just as you expressed, that uh, in any endeavor, there are those who are a little further along. And this, you know, this applies to your workplace. This applies to a, a sports team. There are going to be people who are a little more advanced, talented, or whatever the word you want to use. For them to really excel, they need two things. One, they need people who are less advanced than they are, that they are helping. So we all have to teach, find those opportunities to teach. And then they also need someone who is above them more advanced than they are that they can learn from and they can be pulled and uh, he had this image of uh, uh, here I am on my rung and I am reaching down with one hand and I'm reaching up with the other hand and we are all moving together up this ladder beautiful image compelling image I do love that image. And it speaks to, I think, what's powerful about this community. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. All right. So in the back of your book, we mentioned this a little bit earlier while we were talking about the spiritual first aid. But in the back of your book, Subtraction, this simple math of enlightenment, you discuss some spiritual first aid. Can you talk about a little bit about each of the 12 recommendations or just the highlights of what, and you already mentioned one, you talked about honesty and you mentioned this way more than once. So I know that's your number one. Uh, are there any others that really just you would highly recommend for those on the spiritual path? Let me look in the back of the book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't uh, frankly, I don't keep those on the top of my mind. So if you asked me to name them, I wouldn't even be able to name them in the moment. So practice honesty. Remember your natural koan. Focus your energy. Yeah, I mean, the two that really jump out to me are focus your energy. And then the other one would be look for your source. So I will, I'll talk about those two for a moment. Perfect. You know, focus your energy. We've, we've already touched upon that. Um, Rose, Rose had this amazing analogy, which is very real world. He was a very down to earth guy. Like he was uh, in the latter part of his life. He painted houses. He had a contracting business, painting houses. And uh, he had this analogy of, well, if you think about a house, well, what happens in your house? You've got faucets and, you know, and all bathrooms in the kitchen and so forth. Well, what happens if you turn on 
open up all the spigots, all the faucets, all the way in your house. What happens to the water pressure? Well, you don't have much water pressure at all. And that's what he was talking about with focus your energy. He said that every person is essentially a house with all the spigots wide open. That's what we're doing with our life energy. It's just all over the place and it's pouring out of us in many different directions. So one of the tasks for a seeker is to close off some of those faucets and direct that energy. Because yeah, if you close off all faucets except one, that one faucet is gonna have a lot of water pressure behind it. So this is a, just a very simple physical example of a spiritual principle that we will make uh, progress where we direct our energy. And, you know, I mean, these days, every, uh, every self-help guru and, and uh, every team building coach and success management person talking about this kind of thing. It's not some kind of great secret, but the idea, I still, I think still the idea that such a physical, ordinary world uh, idea would apply to the spiritual strikes people as a little odd. Like, well, uh, it's spiritual somehow different. It should operate by a different set of rules. They don't, I don't think so. I think a lot of spiritual teachers have talked about the importance of focusing and directing your attention and applying some effort towards that which you are trying to achieve. And so focus your energy is directed right at that point. Like, what is it that I'm trying to do and on a daily basis? Well, how much effort, which is not necessarily the same thing as time, right? How much effort and energy am I applying towards my deepest desire? Now, you know, I need to look at my life and think, or is there anything that I can rearrange? How can I work given the circumstances in which I live? What can I do to focus my energy? And it doesn't mean that, uh, right? It doesn't mean that you burn the house down and send the kids to the orphanage. It just means, well, what can I, what can I do? And I, I've known people who like really struggled with things like uh, every morning I spend 25 minutes reading the news on my phone. And, uh, you know, what good is that doing me? How is that helping me? There's 25 minutes I could actually be applying towards something that I really want to know. But, man, it's tough. It's like a magnet that draws me in. And that's the kind of thing that we need to be looking at. What are those, uh, you know, the things that hypnotize us, the things that put us to sleep? What are they and what can we do to counteract them? So that's what focused your energy is about. Um, what, would, uh, what was the other one that I said I was going to talk about? Uh, focus your energy and 
Um, not develop your intuition. Let me look again. Oh, look for the source. You know, I, I hesitated to even put this in the book because this is on the one hand, it's something I, in a way, I think it was particular to me, but I bring it up and maybe I harp on it. I just, you know, if you, if you wanted to go directly at the truth, capital T truth, you would ask something along the lines of where do I come from? What is my source? From where does this moment emanate? There's so many ways to ask the question. The next word that comes out of my mouth, where did it come from? And, and these are all ways of asking, what is the source? And this is why I find poetry and all of the creative endeavors so, it's like they're packed with the potential to reveal that source. Because where does the next note on the instrument come from? Like if, if you begin to look inside yourself to discover where experience emanates from, then you are doing what Rose called retroversing the projected ray. You are trying to look back to the source. You are trying to, you know, play Plato's cave analogy, like we're all looking at the shadows on the wall and we aren't turning around to look back at the fire, which is the light that's causing the shadow. So how do we look towards that light? And that's what I'm talking about by looking for your source. And that ultimately, uh, there was one particular retreat, you know, we, we connected for a moment on that, uh, you know, the initial thing of I'm just miserable. You know, I want some relief from this misery. This is how my spiritual path began. Relief from misery, please. Well, at, at, there was one particular retreat that I was on, a solitary retreat, where it suddenly came to me that I like I want to know where thought comes from. This thing that I believe that I controlled, I directed, when I really started to look at it, I realized that I have no idea what the next thing out of my mouth is going to be and how is that possible and what does that mean about me? Where does thought come from? I'm going to figure that out. I love that. I've pondered that 
And what I get is nowhere and now here, which is funny because those words are very similar. It's mm-hmm. just there's a little bit of space between the word now and the word here. But if you smush it together, it's nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's like out of nowhere. So that's what I am the nowhereness, the nothingness, yet I'm hereness and nowness. Um, so you spoke of poetry. I heard you mention the word poetry. And I know that's one of the ways that you were able to open your heart, but also develop your intuition. There are those here in this community that that is one of their highest endeavors. One of our core values is being able to hear the Holy Spirit, what we call spirit, within our inner teacher. And it's also called inner wisdom. And um, some of us in the community are having a bit of difficulty first of all, hearing it or following it or trusting it. So I would like to pick your brain or uh, have you share with us what that was like for you, developing the intuition, how poetry fit into all of that. And maybe if you've got your book, read one of your favorite poems. Sure. Um, I... I was definitely not an intuitive person. I was definitely, uh, you know, I was in college. I just took chemistry and biology classes, and I was an ag agriculture major, and I just wanted to, I mean, don't bother me with all these electives. I just want to take my science classes and get my degree and then go to graduate school and then become a professor. All right. That was just single pointed. That's what I want to do. Uh, so I, I had uh, very little articulated interest in poetry and uh, the arts of any sort. Uh, and when I met Rose, um, I, I was certainly more inclined towards, well, I'm going to figure this out. Like, this is a problem. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to read all these books and I'm going to deduce the answer from reading these books. Well, as I'm sure everybody here knows, uh, that's not, no, that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> But I was very stubborn in that. Uh, And it was, um, you know, but the the good thing about Rose was that his presence spoke to my intuition because his presence was so, could be so profound and deep that I, a part of me, responded to that. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to figure this out. And and he would talk now and then about how we had to meet him halfway. And I, and that was that was helpful because he was trying to point at we we needed to develop our sensitivity, our ability to hear like you were like you were talking about 
You know, how do I hear this inner wisdom? And and he was really more like a, uh, you know, at the time I thought, oh, he's right, he's transmitting something to us, and that's a. And transmission is kind of a can of worms, but he was ringing a bell, and within us there was a resonance to that bell. You know, for some it was very quiet, and for others it was louder, uh, but I could hear it, and I knew I needed to change. And I fortunately, talking about ladder work, I had friends who were more intuitive than me, and and they would literally give me list of things that I could try. And I, I think it's in the book. Uh, like some, one of my friends said, you need to hug an animal. And, uh, you know, we lived on a farm and there were goats and there were baby goats in the wintertime. And, uh, and, and so I would go down like, okay, I'm going to do my exercise and try to get more intuitive and I'm going to, pick up this baby goat and hold the baby goat and, you know, just stuff like that, which I, I, you know, I know to a lot of people that probably seems um, now kind of ridiculous or simple, but I needed that for, because I was so far away from that part of myself that I needed that. Uh, and I went, uh, another friend of mine, we went uh, sledding one winter down the, there was a big hill on the farm. And we just went sledding down this hill. And, you know, something so simple like that, I was just wound, I was just this tight, wound up ball of meditate, 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 intense, gone Fine, got to answer these questions. And, uh, you know, the flip side of that, the release of just careening down this hill, that was of value to me. So there were a lot of little things like that that friends helped me with that began to slowly awaken some ability to hear something other than my own thoughts. And, uh, and so I, I started just very basically uh, with little exercises like that and then spending a little time outdoors, like sitting next to a tree. And I, and I would literally ask myself, well, what do I feel? And I don't feel anything. <laughs> do it again another day. What do I feel? And, you know, and if I, and if you, if you, look and ask and are patient, you will begin to notice things. And these are uh, other ways of knowing. And, uh, and I suspect that, that given your school and, and uh, your practices, that you're all probably further along than I was in terms of connecting with the intuition. Uh, but I'm just giving you a flavor for how I began. And that eventually, uh, eventually became this practice of going outdoors with a pen and a, and a piece of paper, a notebook, and and sitting and listening. 
and a feeling would come and that would uh, become a word. Now, if you want to talk about magic, right? How in the heck does uh, does that process work, right? You, you know, you're looking, you're literally looking at the source of creation. A feeling arises from somewhere in the universe. It's heard and it becomes a word that then lands on a piece of paper. And that was a very valuable process for me to, to do. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I kept that up for a long time and, and, uh, and that just opened me to a different way of, of hearing and learning and experiencing. And I think that when I later met Douglas Harding, I was just a different person. I had changed. I was, I was different and I was more open to hearing, experiencing, you know, his, his exercises were very experiential and I was just more, yeah, I could, in fact, I, I had read his book years before, maybe 1995, and it made no sense whatsoever to me. I thought, this is ridiculous. I, I can't make heads or tails out of this. But when, when did I meet him? 98? When I think when I went to one of his workshops, then I was ready. So I don't know if that really helped at all. I mean, you asked a fairly specific question about, well, do I have any thoughts on how to develop intuition that might be of use? What is the moment or when was the moment where you knew you could trust it? Like you knew it was intuition <laughs> and you knew you could trust it. hundred percent. It wasn't, um, that, that process was never a trust. It was just a do set and, and do. Uh, I, and it was, uh, unfiltered in that I would just write down whatever came in response. And then later I would go back and later I would go back and actually turn those fragments into, uh, a poem, like put a little framework on it. But the fragments were just translations, really. You know, they were translations. So trust, I mean, I still, uh, if you ask me right now, well, should you uh, make dinner tonight or should you order out? So I don't know, what do I, do I have any intuition about that? I do. I don't know, maybe that's just my stomach talking and I'm kind of tired. I don't but there are times, I mean, you know, there are times something comes to you and you just know. And there are other times, at least for me, things come to me and I'm like, mm, I don't know. I mean, I think I need to test that out a little bit with my logic and see this. And then I might take a chance and say, okay, I'll give that a try and see what happens. I don't so have perfected intuition. 
So when you know that you know that you know, is that like a heart gut thing? And it's like you just feel like this on sensation. What is, is it like a visceral? It, it is. Uh, yeah, it's just like um, it does. Like, I mean, you're pointing to it, right? It's like the whole body is behind. You're hundred percent. And, and it's primarily when uh, right I, I think it's strongest when I'm talking to people like something will come to me and and I just it has to be said well we only have a few minutes left I can't believe the time wow. has blown by it feels like I could talk to you forever so obviously we don't have you forever <laughs> um, I do want to save a little room for questions so I know we have Rhoda Macklett who is the admin right now fielding questions um, just want to give you a heads up if you want to ask Sean a question it would be helpful if you use your virtual hand And you can do that by um, accessing your Zoom toolbar, click on reactions, and then raise hand feature. Oh, yes, Anne, lovely Anne. And then we have Anish. Wonderful. Thank you, Sina. And thank you, Sean. It's been so, it's just wonderful to hear you share with us so openly and generously. Um, several years ago, we had Tess Hughes and Bob Ferguson at, at our uh, yearly retreat. It was absolutely wonderful. And one of the things that they both spoke very um, highly of that um, uh, Richard Rose had encouraged them to do uh, had to do with their dreams. And at the time, it just felt kind of like I was just very new on the spiritual path, and I, I just couldn't keep track of it. And it but they were both, um, I, I remember them both speaking about how uh, integral it was in their process of kind of the unfolding and having awareness land on more and more. And I, from what I recall, it was not only um, record your dreams, but like I, the thing I remember is that name them, give them a little title. And um and I just didn't know if that was one of the practices that, that was helpful to you and if perhaps you could speak a little bit about that. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up um, because it, it dream work was actually something that I never got particularly involved in. And, uh, and Bob Ferguson, I definitely, uh, I would definitely have, you know, Bob and I knew each other. He lived on the farm uh, for part of the time that I was there. So we knew each other when we were both just struggling and, and uh, just trying anything to, to see if it would help. And, and, uh, and of course, I've, I've interviewed him over the years and so forth. So I'm very familiar with Bob's experience with dream work. For myself, I, I, got more much more value out of those moments right before falling asleep and coming out of sleep I always found those very magical and 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 I think for me that was uh, something that was close to the creative source those moments they could be they could and can be just very free moments when the, the 
shell or burden of the personality is just has it hasn't come fully online just yet. Uh, so no, I didn't. I didn't do. I kept a dream journal, and uh, you know, I went through the motions of. Well, other people tell me that dream work is supposed to be useful, and therefore I'm going to try dream work. But I just never, it never grabbed me. Thank you. I appreciate it. And Anish. Sean, thank you for your time today. It was really great listening to the talk and Sina. Great questions. Thank you. I wanted to ask you about, and Saina read this in your bio, right? In a moment of complete honesty, you experienced something beyond experience. What is the moment of complete honesty? What does it feel like? How can one be honest, like completely honest? Could you just talk about honesty and what it means to you? Yeah, I mean, it's the, uh, I think it's been woven throughout our, our conversation. And, uh, and I do, I keep kind of coming back to, you know, that, that end of the day honesty. What, what do I really know about myself? Versus what do I believe? What have I been told? What do I wish? What do I actually see right now about me, my personality, even, you know, below that layer of personality? Let's say I've meditated a lot. You know, if we meditate a lot, we can get to the point where thoughts are sort of a thing that we see that happens. Like, okay, I get that. Thoughts appear. I don't really have much control, if any control over them. All right. But I'm still here watching those thoughts. All right? Well, what about that character? How solid, how real is that character? Can I watch that character? And if I can be aware of being aware, what does that mean about the solidity of that watcher? And that's the kind of honesty that, that I'm talking about. And, you know, what is... Uh, when the lights go out at night and I'm drifting off to sleep, right? I mean, what happens? Where do I go? Now, some people may go off and have journeys and experiences and they may be very conscious of them. But what is the solidity of that? You know, the, the, that's the rising and falling, the transience. Uh, most of the poetry that I write uh, carries that echo of the transience of all things. 
And uh, if we could be completely honest about the transience of our self, whatever we believe it to be, then it might release and something else might be revealed. It's like if I am really honest, right? I really don't know anything at all because everything is in question. All the experiences, all my thoughts, all my emotions, whatever I think myself to be, all my projections. Is that what you're pointing towards? The emptiness of... I, I mean, that's a part of it. But we we do, one does have to watch out about being caught in that kind of futility that can kind of catch me and, oh, well, there's just nothing I can do. I might as well just sit here on the couch because I got no clue about anything. It's just all pointless. It's just, this can't be solved. And, and you can, you know, you can feel the difference in the energy of that versus an inquiry, which is pushing, okay, that is not real. That is not real. It's like a hunter, but the hunter is turning from that, which is, which is obviously not the answer and and that's the you know that's the to me the beauty of what rose advocated of backing away from untruth because the truth isn't conceivable it's not something that the mind will go oh yeah i i got it now it's not the way that it works. It's something that the mind gives up, lets go, and then it's revealed. It's very helpful. The futility against the actual excitement of self-inquiry. So yes. yes, yeah, yeah, that excitement. That's very helpful. Saina did mention that you were going to read us a poem, so maybe I'll, although I have a lot of questions for you, but if you're going to read us a poem, I'll. Although we have seven minutes left and Lena has her hand up, so I do want to make sure that Lena is able to have her question answered. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Shana. Uh, thank you, Sean. It was wonderful, uh, like everything what you were saying. Uh, I had one question, uh, but right now I really want to have time to ask two questions. I'll be short. First, uh, uh, how I understood you are um, a big expert uh, on uh, go to sleep. Uh, can you tell me, for the last uh, three, four months, 
Uh, the more I am meditating, the more I am being in the present, uh, I started to have hard time to go to sleep. Like some energy excites me and uh, I should have a more a present moment and I thought I will go better to sleep. But no, like some energy when I'm going into now, energy come into me and uh, I'm like go to dance. I'm uh, go, I don't understand why I'm in a bed at all. And I don't know, is it uh, uh, any suggestions uh, or not? Because you're an expert, how you said. My oh, question was clear. Are you... Uh, are you wishing that this wasn't happening or are you enjoying what's going on? Uh, I, I, before I didn't have problems with sleeping and uh, now I'm with the being more in now. I'm actually, maybe I need to shorten my hours of sleeping. I, that may be worth trying out. Maybe you can do just fine on five hours of sleep a night now. But this thought just came into my mind when I was asking you <laughs> before it didn't come. Thank you. Uh, and uh, how do you enjoy your family life? Oh. How do you enjoy all these uh, routines uh, which uh, like uh, looks like uh, imaginary? Uh, how is it going with you? How you said mortgages and the children and the... Oh. Oh. <laughs> Sorry for that. <laughs> it was going fine until you brought up the mortgage. Now. Have you want to know? I I very I feel very lucky and I yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I just feel very lucky and very thankful. Um, yeah. And those are my best days, right? When I, when I stop for a moment and I just recognize the miracle all around. And in general, uh, family and pets and uh, the little things that come up with work, those things are a part of that miracle. Okay. Which is not to say that somehow I don't get aggravated now and then and I, I don't get stressed because I have to find an insurance policy for this house and those sorts of things, right? And that stuff comes up, got to deal with it. And uh, yeah, you know, we, we had to take one of our cats to the emergency room a couple of weeks ago. That was traumatic. And they told us that she had a tumor and she was going to die. And oh my God, it was terrible. I was crying and, and then they said, oh, we were wrong. It's not a tumor after all. <laughs> so I went through the whole roller coaster. Okay, okay I just, thank you. Yeah, I, I hope. It, I don't want to. I think it's good 
to get over this idea that enlightenment is proof against life. Yeah. Thank you. Get over this idea that enlightenment is proof against life. So what I hear you saying is that life is going to still be life. There's going to be ups and downs. And like you said, cat traumas, mortgages, bills to pay, things coming in our life. Um, and obviously feeling the whole gamut of emotions that come along with it, with a heart yeah. that's open yeah. and ready to receive life. And you all have uh, Paul Hederman come. Yes, we do. Every Tuesday. Right. Traveling yes. lighter. His phrase, yes. traveling lighter, is spot on. He doesn't say traveling perfectly or traveling without trauma. He says traveling lighter. There you That's go. perfect. What a beautiful note to leave us on because for a lot of us, I know that speaks big time to us, especially since we love Paul Hederman. He comes here. I know you did a documentary, so I'm plugging that in there. Your poetry and motion films that you have. I did. I didn't get a chance to ask you the questions about them, but I loved your documentary on the remarkable women. And uh, I don't know if our community knows it or not, but if they subscribe to your um, email list, closer than close, at least it was for me, um, yeah. it, you get to see it for free. So there's that. Uh, again, Sean Nevin's website is spiritualteachers.com uh, or hold on. Dot org. Dot org. Yeah. So definitely want to check that out. And he has a YouTube channel too. Um, journals of spiritual discovery. And I feel like there's a lot of helpful information just right there with us. Uh, and they're not very, they're not very long. So if you're short on time, there is like a transmission in them. And I felt that. And I felt that tonight. So thank you, Sean. Thank you for being with us. We are at the top of the hour. Are there any last words, maybe different um, happenings? Or I don't, I don't know if you want to tell them about TAT or where to find you or other places not already mentioned. Yeah, I mean, you, you did a great job with all the the links and resources and so forth. So if you want to find me, I'm out there. If you want to talk, I'm happy to talk. I don't, I don't make a living off of this kind of stuff. So you can just email me and we can just chat or talk on the phone or whatever. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, I do really, really want to thank you for the questions. Really nice, well thought out questions. And that, you know, I don't know if people appreciate how important that is in this sort of format. So thank you very much for that. Thank you for listening to this edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery. I'm your host, Sean Nevins. For more information about today's guest, as well as more interviews, books, and other resources, go to spiritualteachers.org. That's spiritualteachers.org.